Thank you for listening to this week's message from Go Church. We hope it encourages you today. For more information about Go Church, check us out online at letsgo.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Go Church, it is so good to be up here today to get the chance to speak to you. Before I get into that, I want to give credit where credit is due. Pastor Nick, Becky, thank you guys so much for having me on the team. Thank you for the opportunity to be up here on this platform. I don't take it lightly that you've asked me to do this, that I get to be up here, so thank you guys so much. I want to take a moment and give a shout out to two groups of people that are here today before I get started as well. The first one is everybody who serves on the tech team. I see some of you sitting out here, you guys in the back, ladies in the back in the room. Thank you so much for serving every single week. And most importantly, thank you for making me look good today. I appreciate that more than you know. Second group of people is everybody that serves on our Go Youth team. Every week we're here on Wednesday nights having the best night of the week. And that wouldn't be possible without the adult leaders that come here and love on all the students, all the teens that show up on Wednesday nights. So thank you guys for being a part of Go Youth. Now, since the last time that I was up here, as Nick mentioned a second ago, I've had a life change. So I am now a father. This is a picture of our son, Tate Christopher Ward. He is just, he's loving every second of that, isn't he? It was a very right in the sun, windy day. But I love being a father. Hannah is doing an incredible job, crushing it as a mom. You are incredible. I love you. You are a great mom for our son. And it's been, it's been fun. We're figuring out this is our first kid. So a lot of new things, but we're learning, we're getting in a rhythm, and we're having a great time. So today, we're going to continue this series. Let's jump into this. We have been talking about the most important week ever. That's what we've been calling this series, and we've been taking different stories, pulling different things out from the Passion Week and seeing what we can learn from each of those stories. So today, we're going to continue this, and we're actually going to talk about Palm Sunday, now, if you've gone to church for a while, maybe you know that today is actually Palm Sunday. If not, here's the information for you. Today is Palm Sunday. <laughs> Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter. And this Passion Week that we've been talking about actually kicks off with Palm Sunday, with this entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And they call it Palm Sunday because part of the story, and we'll get to it a little bit more in a second, is they, would, the, they cut off these palm branches and they're waving these palm branches Around And that's where it gets its name. And I figured that I would just wear my Palm Sunday shirt today, celebrating. I've got my jersey on. I'm excited about Palm Sunday. So let's jump into this. I want to give you a little bit more context of what is going on. So this is seven days before Jesus is raised from the dead. This is five, four and a half, five days before he dies on the cross. And it's the beginning of this Passion Week. And we pick it up with Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And he's coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival called the Passover. And in, the, in Israel, they would celebrate a whole bunch of different festivals. These festivals would represent things that had happened in their past, things that God had done for them throughout the history of their nation. So Jesus is coming with his disciples to celebrate this Passover festival, and they're going to the city of Jerusalem. Now, at this time, the city, the population was around 500,000 people. But when this festival would happen in this particular time, the population would almost triple in size. So instead of 500,000 people, they're coming into this town where there's like a million and a half, maybe almost two million people. 
And sometimes it can be hard when I know when we talk about these different stories from the Bible, these places that most of us have probably never been to, may not ever get to go to. So as I was working on this, getting some of this ready, I realized, remembered that my wife Hannah has had the incredible opportunity to get to go and see some of these places in Israel. So I was asking, I was like, hey, do you have any pictures? Like I'm talking about Palm Sunday. Do you have any pictures from like this moment where maybe Jesus would have been? And she was like, yeah, actually, I think I do. So she gave me this picture to show you today. So this is where Jesus would have gone. Now, it does not look like this or it did not look like this then. Jesus, this is not Jesus' Volkswagen parked over here on the side of the road. But this is the, the path, what it would have looked like when they were going into this town. And you can see often the distance, that's the city of Jerusalem. So they're going down this hill and back up. And when I think about the idea and see this picture of it being crowded, just think about this being packed with people. The population triples almost four times the size, there's not all going to fit inside the city. So there's just camps, there's tents, people are everywhere as Jesus is coming into the city. So I just want us to see this picture, to see what it would have looked like, this journey that he's taken. Another thing that I thought was cool, I started working on what I was going to say today before I got this picture, and uh, Hannah also sent me this next photo. Everywhere she went on this trip, she would take a picture in her Bible of the, just the, the story, so she could remember, okay, well, this is where this story takes place. So she could just remember what she experienced. And I thought it was cool. She didn't know this. The, this story is, is recorded in all of the Gospels. But she just happened to take a picture of the story in the book of Luke, which is the one that we're going to use today. I just thought that was cool. I wanted to share that with you, that all of this is just starting to work together. I wanted you to see this context, see what it's like in this city. So let's jump into this story in Luke 19. It says, as he, this is Jesus, approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. So they were sent ahead. They went and found it just as Jesus had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owner said, why are you doing this? Why are you untying this colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, as he was going down this road that we were looking at, it says people spread their cloaks on the road. They were taking off their outer garments and putting it down for Jesus and this donkey, to this colt to go over. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And this is this moment another one of the gospels records. This is where they have these palm branches and they're waving them. They're putting them on the ground. They're basically rolling out the carpet for Jesus to come down. And my brain is weird. When I read this, I was like, okay, they're waving. Is this the first time that somebody like might have done the wave before? <laughs> and not like, not like right there at Jesus, like we're not doing this, but like, you know, you see Jesus coming from a long way away, but you're in the crowd and you're like, I mean, it's like when we're at the Rockies game waiting for them to actually do something. You're just waiting for Jesus to get down there. So I think maybe they did it. So if you got your Go Church text message yesterday, you saw that the text message said we were going to do the wave today. So we're going to do it. And I promise you, this is just for me. It's just because I wanted to see this happen in church. So what we're going we're to start over here. You guys are in the starting section. I'm going to say one, two, three, go. 
And then we're just going to do the way. We're going to go this way. You don't have to stand up. We'll just, we'll just do our hands. We're going to do it one time. I promise this isn't like a thing where I'm going to make you keep doing the wave over and over as I'm talking. Everybody ready? Can we do this? Can we have a little fun in church today? All right. Are you guys ready? Here we go. One, two, three, go. Yes. 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 And we did it. We did the wave. Give yourself a hand. Go church. Thank you. Thank you. That was just for me. This microphone, it just does stuff to your head. You're like, I'm going to make people do the wave this morning. But Jesus is coming down this road. They're praising him. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. But then there's this moment where some of the Pharisees start to notice this. Now, Pharisees, they're these religious rulers. They basically ran everything with this religion. And they see this and they speak up to Jesus. They were in the crowd. They say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Basically, they're saying this way of worship, what you're doing, what they're saying about you. This is not how we do things. This is not what this is supposed to look like. But then Jesus responds to them and he says this. I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You go, church, I've got a question for you today. Has a stone taken your place? Has worship stopped coming out of your mouth? Have you said, that's not how I do worship? Has, a, has creation literally had to take your place in worshiping God? I think there's this battle for our worship. There's this battle trying to make us choose what are we going to love most? Is it going to be God or is it going to be something else? And today, as we're kicking off this Passion Week, as we start this process going to Easter Sunday, my question to you is, can we start to raise our level of passion? Can we start to raise our level of worship to match the greatness of our God? This leads us to our one big thing. You can write this down on your communication card. Worship is our response to what we love the most. Worship is our response to what we love the most. We all worship something. And if you were to survey your life, if you were to evaluate where you spend the most time, where you spend the most money, what takes up the most brain space in your head, what do you think about the most? This will show you what you truly worship. And here's why this is important. You can write this on your communication card. It'll be on the screen. Worship is important because... Whatever we worship becomes an obsession. And then whatever we become obsessed with, we imitate. And whatever we imitate, we become. Basically what this means is, whatever we choose to worship, whatever that thing is that we worship the most, it shapes everything about who we are. So if you're in here today and there's something in your life that might not be going the way you want it to, or you're, you're not experiencing life the way you wish you could or want to, maybe it's time to start evaluating the thing that we worship most. If we look at this story, we can learn some stuff from some of the characters and see what they worshiped most. This is on your communication card. The first thing we're going to look at is the Pharisees. The Pharisees worship their status quo. So like I said, they are in charge of everything. They basically run the politics because the politics are so closely related to religion. So they, they lord themselves over the people. They were dressed in these, these clothes so that people would know that they're different than them. 
And when Jesus came, he started kind of reshaping the way people are thinking about religion. The people are reshaping the way people are thinking about God. And the Pharisees did not like this because they saw it as a threat. For them to get on board with what Jesus was saying, they would have had to change what they believed. They would have had to let go of some things. Because what they were doing is they were picking the parts of the law, the parts of the Old Testament out that they wanted to follow that they thought were important. And I think some of us in here today, we do this now. We're saying, yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to Go Church and be here, but I'm not going to live like Jesus the other six days of the week. I'm going to come here and I'm going to listen and I'm going to receive, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Well, yeah, I, I love Jesus, but some of these things that are in the Bible, I, I, don't, I don't think that's for me. And I get that. Listen, there's some stuff in here that I wish wasn't in here. The Bible says to love your enemy, to forgive them. Sometimes I'm like, why? It also says to take the massive plank out of your own eye before you try to judge somebody else who has just a small speck in theirs. I don't want to do that. I can point out what other people are doing wrong way easier than I can do that for myself. The Bible says to bring all of your tithe into the storehouse, all of it. Sometimes I find myself saying, it would be nice to do this other thing instead. But you see, we don't get to pick and choose the things out of the Bible that we like, because another thing that's in there is to pick up your own cross every single day, to crucify yourself. This means every single day, if we want to truly follow Jesus, if we want to truly worship Jesus, we have to put ourselves under him. We have to fully submit. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to stick to this status quo of our life for whatever reason that is. We have to submit to God. Another thing that I think we can learn from this story, another character in this, is the idea of the crowd. I think we can all relate to the crowd. I know I can relate to the crowd because the crowd's worship was conditional. See, when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday, the crowd is singing praises. They're saying, Hosanna, glory in the highest. But then as five days go by, the opinion shifts in this crowd. The crowd around Jesus goes from glorifying him to saying, crucify him, crucify him. And if we look in the the story, it says they were singing these praises because the things they had seen him do. It's easy to praise Jesus when he's restoring sight to blind people. It's easy to praise Jesus when he's feeding you and clothing you and multiplying food. It's easy to praise Jesus when you're seeing him raise people from the dead. But there was another thing that they wanted him to do. See, Israel had been taken over by Rome. And throughout the history of Israel, somebody always ruled over them in some capacity for most of the time. So when they see Jesus coming, they see this promise of a Messiah. They think, well, okay, the person is finally here. They're going to save us. They're going to take this oppression away. They wanted Jesus to change their circumstances. They wanted him to set up his kingdom now to overthrow Rome. But then Jesus comes and he starts talking about, my kingdom isn't of this earth. My kingdom is something different. In my kingdom, if you want to be the greatest, you have to serve other people. In my kingdom, when somebody says something to you, you have to turn the other cheek. If you want to be first in my kingdom, you have to be last. I think when people heard this, their opinion would start to shift. 
And I don't think it's necessarily the same people going from praising to crucifying him, but they definitely weren't speaking up anymore. For me, I said this is something that I can relate to. At the end of the year last year, I was diagnosed with OCD. And it's not, like, it's not an OCD from what you would see in TV shows or movies of all this organization or different things like that. The form of OCD I was diagnosed with is something called scrupulosity. And some of you in here might know this term. So my definition, what I've learned about scrupulosity is it's this moral OCD, this moral obsession. So for years, I would struggle and have this overwhelming anxiety of, did I do the right thing? Is this thing from my past that I just remembered, like, I don't know what to do about it unless I tell somebody or try to confess so that other people know of the bad stuff that I did. But it's not only that, I would also have this same kind of anxiety of like, well, did I stop completely at that stop sign? And I'm not saying I don't stop at stop signs, but I mean, you know, it happens sometimes. And I would feel these things as, as similar when maybe they should be felt as different. And for years, I just didn't know what to do about this. And there would be moments in my life where I would say, God, I know that you have the power to take this away. I know you have the power to fix this. Do you not know what I'm feeling? Do you not know that I'm hurting? And my praise would stop. I would be the person where a rock is having to speak up. It would take my place because I wanted God to change my circumstances. I would go through life, I would go through the motions, I would come in to this room here and go church, and I would be standing here, but I wouldn't be engaging. But then there would be times where as worship is happening, I just start feeling this overwhelming sense of God's presence and Him reminding me, this small voice of, when have I not been there? When have I not ever showed up for you? It may not look like the way you want it to look, but when have you ever been alone? And I would find myself just out of whatever was left, not even out of excitement, but just out of desperation of saying, God, I hear you and I trust you. This isn't easy, but I know that you're still good. I found myself having to remind myself that if he never does another good thing for me, he's already done enough. Go church, that is what our worship needs to look like. It doesn't mean we're always happy. It doesn't mean we're always excited about what's going on. But our worship is not about us. Our worship is about God. And it's unconditional because he never changes. He never changes. I want to read a story that I think is going to pull together some of the stuff we've talked about today, some of the stuff we've talked about over the last two weeks. This is in the book of Mark. And somebody is talking to Jesus. And this is what it says in chapter 12, verse 28. It says, One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to a debate. He realized that Jesus had answered all these questions well. So he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, he said, the most important commandment is this. And then he quotes a passage from Deuteronomy. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Now, what I love about this idea of worship is in, in our own ways, we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. This says that we should 
Love God with all of our mind. The first week of this series, we looked at this idea that there's things that stand in the way from a closeness to God. And over time, he wants to renew our mind. He wants to reshape the way we think about things. So to love God with all of our mind, it's saying that we're going to honor him with our thoughts. We're going to start to change the way we think. We're going to move this stuff out of the way. That's how we love him with all of our mind. Another thing that it says in this is to love God with all of our strength. Last week, we talked about what we can do to serve others. To love God with all of our strength means we're going to be good stewards of all of the talents that God has given us, the time that God has given us, the opportunities that he puts in front of us to help meet needs. That's how we love God with all of our strength. But the last part of this, it's kind of in the middle. It says to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul. The way we do that, this leads us to our one big action is this. Our one big action is, I will worship God with my affections. See, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. I can't just say to Hannah, to my wife, well, I have love for you in here, but I'm never going to show you any kind of affection. I'm never going to hold your hand. I'm never going to hug you. I can't just say I have love for you in my heart, but I'm never going to explain that, express that to her with my words. That's not going to go well. Don't ask me how I know. <laughs> because this idea of loving something, loving someone, this isn't just something we feel on the inside. Love is something that is expressed on the outside. Yeah. And in fact, it's not love unless there is some kind of expression for it. God didn't just so love the world. He gave. And if we want to start honoring God, heart and soul, we have to worship him with our affections. In the Bible, there's a book, the one of the longest books in the Bible, it's the book of Psalms. It's 150 chapters, 150 chapters of worship, of praise. And I believe that there's such an emphasis on it for us because this is how God wants to be loved. This is what he wants to see from us as his followers. And it talks about how we should, all these different ways that we can worship him. It talks about proclaiming words. It talks about shouting praises in his name. It talks about starting to sing and dance. It talks about our posture. It talks about kneeling. It talks about bowing before God. It talks about clapping our hands in praise, raising our hands with praise to God. These are the ways that God wants to be worshipped. This is how we show him that we love him. And this is the perfect environment for that. I don't know if you've noticed, but we are very careful with our words here at Go Church. What we do here on Sundays, we call these worship experiences. Just because the seats are turned this way right now and every single one of you is looking at me and in a few moments when the band is up here that you're all looking at them, that that's what you're here for. You're not here just to hear me speak. You're not here to listen to Pastor Nick speak. You're not here to just be here while the music is playing. We're here to worship. We're here to take in communion. We're here to be one with God, to tell him how much we love him. I want to give you permission today to just let loose a little bit, to have some fun. These things that we talk about, raising your hands, singing words, this is the place to do that. I feel like, well, I, I, don't, I don't know all the words to these songs. We're going to put the words on the screen. It'll be real easy. Maybe like, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a good singer. I promise nobody's going to hear you over this sound system. So sing. 
This is the place to do this. Maybe you're like, I just don't get it. I, I don't really get that. That seems a bit much. That's not me. I, 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 don't, I don't understand why we would do this. There's a story in, in the Bible that takes place the night before Palm Sunday. So everything we just read, if we go back a little bit, there's a story there. And Jesus is in this house. With, it's Mary and Martha's house. And Mary is at his feet, anointing his feet with this expensive fragrance, this expensive perfume. And it, the Bible says that this perfume cost a year's worth of wages. And some of the disciples were in the room and they were saying, I just don't get it. Why, I don't understand why she's doing that. Like that seems like a, a, a year's wage. That seems like a bit much. I don't, I don't think that's how we should be doing these things. I don't get it. And Jesus interjects into this conversation and he says, yeah, you guys don't get it. You see, she's here worshiping like this. She is loving much because she has been forgiven much. And go church, I'm not trying to get into your business today, but have you forgotten what God has done for you? Have you forgotten how much he has forgiven you? Have you forgotten the addictions that he's broken? Have you forgotten the marriages that have been restored, the families that have been saved? Have you forgotten the good things he has done for you? Today on this Palm Sunday, as we begin this Passion Week, can we raise our level of passion to match the level of forgiveness we have been given? The amount of love that was shown for God so loved the world, He gave His Son for us. So I want to challenge you today. Can we go into this worship in a few moments and make this worship about God and not about us? Not about our circumstances. Can we let go of these things that we are still holding on to and say, God, I give it all to you. I worship you because of who you are. My challenge this for you today is can you be bought in heart and soul? Can you start to love God with your affections? With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray for us in this room. God, I pray right now that you will start creating worshipers in this room. God, if there are things that are in our mind that are starting to block us from entering into worship. I pray that you would start to tear these things down. God, show us what it looks like to be bought in heart and soul. For people in the room right now that are saying these different ways of worshiping, singing, shouting, raising my hands, I don't know about that. God, I pray that you would remind us how much you gave for us. Remind us of the things that you brought us out of just so we can see where we are today. Maybe you're in here today and you're listening to this and you're hearing about this God that loves us so much and you're saying, that's what I need. I need this in my life. I want to make Jesus the Lord and the leader of my life. Here's the good news. As we're going into this Easter season, you need to know that Jesus came to this earth as a human. He's fully God and fully man. He was tempted in every single way that you could imagine. He felt pain. He felt sadness when people around him hurt. He was fully man, but he went through this life without a single sin. And he still got crucified on a cross. He died a sinner's death that we should have died. He took our place. 
and they put him in a tomb. But three days later, that stone rolled away and he was not in there because he took the keys to death held in the grave and he sits at the right hand of the Father for us. He did that for you. If you want to make Jesus the Lord and the leader of your life today, the Bible says that you just have to believe in your heart that he died and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he died and rose again and you will be saved. If you want to do that today, all you have to do is pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, thank you for choosing me. Thank you for dying for my sins. I believe in you. I believe that you died and you rose again. And today I'm choosing to make you the Lord and the leader of my life. I'm choosing to follow you from this day forward. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Go Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at letsgo.church. You can also download our app from the App Store by searching Go Church. Have a great week and God bless.